Hey, y'all. <laughs> uh, I'd like to start off, everybody, turn into Psalms 37.11. The topic of my sermon today is being a meek Christian. And uh, <laughs> I was thinking about this sermon, and I was thinking it was weird that a junior who hasn't even graduated yet was given a sermon to the seniors. And um, I just, I want you to think of it not like I'm telling you what to do. Think of it like I did all the hard work for you, I studied it for you, and now I'm just telling it to you guys. All right. So Psalms 37:11 reads, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Uh, I split this verse into two parts. The first part is, but the meek shall inherit the land. Um, I interpreted this as, obviously, Jesus uses it in the New Testament as the meek will inherit the kingdom, the kingdom of God, heaven, and all that. But back in the Old Testament, um, I interpreted it as like actual land, like grass, fields. And I was thinking about the importance of land to the ancient Israelites. And I'd like to turn over to Genesis 12, 6. Genesis 12, 6 reads, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Morah, at the time the Canaanites were in that land. So obviously, this is recapping the importance of the, of the promised land for the Israelites. And then whenever we turn over to Genesis 13, 11. Um, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Um, this was another important thing. They just came into the promised land. They were trying to take it, and Abram said this a lot. You know what? You can choose. There's this land full of rocks, dirt, and there's this land full of grass and leaves and water. And Lot chooses the better land because uh, ancient Israelites, their main uh, job was herding cattle, herding sheep. And to do that, they needed land, they needed vegetation, they needed water. So land was obviously very important to these ancient Israelites. Um, so in today's terms, but the meek shall inherit the land, I'd like to think of the land is equivalent to whatever great blessing you wish to receive. So I guess for seniors, um, wisdom, the meek shall inherit wisdom. Uh, for the old, I guess, the meek shall inherit a good life, <laughs> a good life ahead of you. I mean, it's not over yet, hopefully. Uh, the second part of this verse um, that I s sliced it into is delight themselves in abundant peace. It says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight in themselves in abundant peace. Um, if we just took the first part of that verse and said, the meek will inherit the land, it's as if God is pointing out, hey, if you do this, you get a reward. It's all about you. It's you, you, you. But the second part of the verse says uh, they enjoy abundant peace, as if saying, this is not just about you. Being meek does not just affect you. It also affects other people. So I'd like to turn over to Acts 20, verse 35. 
verse 35 says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And then to Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Acts 20, 35 states that one of the main Christian jobs is to serve others, work for others. So whenever we are meek, we're not just meek for ourselves, we're meek for others. We find joy in sustaining peace and sustaining peace for others. And then Matthew 5, 16 at the very end says, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So being meek affects three genres. It affects you, it affects other people, and it affects God. When you are meek, not only are you getting the blessing you want, not only are you serving others, which is a Christian job, you're also glorifying God in the way you act. Um, to close off my sermon, I guess I'd like to... Tell the seniors how to apply yourself. Um, uh, for me, personally, I have a really hard time like caring what other people think, which in some cases is good, but in my case, it's bad. Um, so I would just think to myself, how are my bad actions affecting the people that I love? How are they affecting how I reflect on the God's kingdom? So that's what I'd like to leave you seniors with. How you act matters, especially now that you're the new generation that's coming up. So, good luck to you guys. Good evening, church. I wanted to start by with a question. I have a question for you guys. What do you do with the love that has been given to you? One year for my sister's birthday, my family and I got dressed up and we went out to Olive Garden, which is my sister's favorite restaurant. We sat down and they brought out uh, breadsticks and salad to our table. Um, then the waiter pulled out the cheese grater and without much instruction began pumping cheese on my sister's plate. My sister, or her eyes got bigger and bigger as she misunderstood that she was supposed to tell the waiter when to stop. My sister loves cheese, but not as much as he was giving her. Before long, she had more cheese than salad on her plate. The waiter overfilled my sister's plate with cheese. In 1 John 4.19, we read, We love because he, God, first loved us. Not only has God loved us, but in John 15.13, we read, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. It is no secret that God loves us. He loves us enough to lay down his life for us, the most abundant love. God, like the Olive Garden waiter, has overfilled our plate with his love and mercy. It has been explained to me this way. God has overflowed our cup with his love and mercy that it should outpour to those around us. But who is those around us? A great example of how we are to treat our neighbor is given in Luke 10, 25-37, when Jesus was being questioned by an expert in the law with, Who is our neighbor? 
Jesus responds with a, par- with a parable in Luke 10, 30-37, by saying, In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I know that we've heard this story before, but it's my fear that it's just become a story and we've forgot we have ignored its call to action. In John 13, 34 through 35, we read, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our love for one another truly reveals our love for God. To show mercy and be a neighbor to the needy is an act of that love. Hearing the story of the Good Samaritan is still not as easy as it was so many years ago. Then, just like today, people disassociated with others based on all sorts of self-righteous criteria, where someone is from, what they struggle with, who they associate with, and so on. I believe Bob Goff said it best when he stated, every time I wonder who I should love and for how long I should love them, God continues to whisper in my ear, everybody always. That is just it. When asking who we are supposed to love, the answer is simple. Everybody, always. In Romans 12, 9, we read how love is an action, and with it we are given some hard commands. Romans 12, 9 through 19 reads, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is that all possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord this is a hard passage to take in and digest I can remember whenever I first read this scripture I imagined Paul waving his finger with his hand on his hip expressing as a parent would to a child that this is just the way it has to be But with more life experience, I realized that Paul told us these hard truths of blessing those who persecute us and and not repaying evil with evil because it truly is the best life to live. He didn't tell us this so that we would be forced to follow strict rules, but so we could live a life that was purposeful. All too often in life, when we hold a grudge or get angry with someone, 
we put so much effort into the task of being frustrated that it exhausts us. On top of how tiring it is to hold that grudge, half the time they don't even notice we have a problem with them. There's an expression that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to feel the pain, which we know doesn't work. A life of loving others is truly the life to live. As expressed in Matthew 25:40. when we help those in need, we do it not only for that person, but for Christ himself. I believe that the most loving thing that we can do for another soul, besides die for them on this earth, is to tell them about Jesus. This past year, I attended the funeral of a 16-year-old boy who passed away in a car accident. The preacher who baptized the boy was the one who spoke at his funeral. The preacher told a story about when they were studying to see if the boy was prepared for baptism. He said that after he explained God's love and salvation through Jesus, the boy had only one question. He said, if all of this is true about Jesus, then why doesn't everyone believe in him? Love is an action, one that we as believers have been shown to the greatest length. So why would we hide that love when there still are those who haven't experienced it? What are we going to do with the love that have been given to us? I encourage you as we leave to go and show that love that has been expressed to us through Jesus. Ty Kent, I want to thank y'all very much. Great lessons. Thank y'all. We put a lot of you put a lot of work into your pre, in prepare, preparation into what you're going to say here this evening. And on behalf of the congregation, we want to thank you very much. Um, you know, as y'all were standing up here, I was reflecting back. I remember as a youngster, there were a lot of times my dad would push me to do something, and I'd say, "I can't do that," and I always get the same reply: "You can't learn any younger." You know. So you can't, you can't learn any younger. And, uh, and so we appreciate these guys coming up here and, and presenting good lessons for us. And that's the way you get better. That's the way you improve, and that's the way you learn. I want to challenge you seniors. First off, if you want to learn, teach. You'll learn more by teaching because of the preparation that you have to put in. You'll learn more by teaching than you'll ever learn sitting in Bible classes. So sit in Bible classes, learn, continue to prepare, continue to learn, and prepare to teach. When I say teach, I don't mean you have to stand here up in the pulpit. We all know there are many avenues, many opportunities for all of us to do our share. A few things I want to share, a few thoughts before we close out this evening. Anybody know what a wishing well is? Y'all know what a wishing well is? Ty, what's a wishing well? What do you put you on the spot here? What do you do? Okay, and you throw money in it, right? What do, you, what do you do before you throw money into the wishing well? You make a wish. You close your eyes, you th- make a big wish, you throw money into this big pond, and then turn around and where's my pony? Right? You know what we do? How about blowing out candles on a birthday cake? You know, we always tell our kids, hey, close your eyes and make a wish, and blow out the candles, and then poof, all right, where's my trampoline? You know? What I mean, think about what is wishing? Have you ever heard somebody playing a piano, concert pianist, and someone next to you go say something like, man, I'd give anything to be able to play like that. And you ask them, really? 
How many lessons have you ever taken? Oh, I've never taken a lesson. So what you mean to say is that you would give nothing to play like that. Right? That's what you're really saying. I'd give nothing to play like that. Because anything that you want to excel at, you have to be willing to put in the work. You have to work. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to put in the work. There's one thing that I notice when I read through, uh, read through Scripture. It doesn't matter, Old Testament, New Testament. When you're reading about godly people, there's one thing they all have in common. That is, they're all hard workers. And they're workers not for themselves, but they're workers for other people and they're workers for God. And that's something I want to challenge you with. I want you to be a worker. I want you not to be a wisher. I want you to be a worker and a worker for others. There's a passage I want to read here right quick. It comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Don't do anything to get ahead. Don't do it because you are proud. Instead, be humble. Value others more than yourselves. None of you should look out just for your own good. Each of you should also look out for the good of others. So here the moral of the story, value others more than yourself. Why? Why should I value others more than myself? Why does God tell me that? I want to tell you, as you read through Scripture, one thing that becomes evidently clear. God's pretty smart. You know? I, I know that sounds very simplistic. Simplistic. But I'm going to tell you, that goes through my head all the time. I'll read something, and I'll sit back, and I go, wow. You know, so simple and so true. So smart. Because see, what? here's what God knows. God knows that at the root of all evil is selfishness. Selfishness is at the root of all evil. I challenge anybody to try to come up with a wrongdoing that doesn't have selfishness at the core. God knows that. God knows that for us to be good people and to be the type of person that other people want to, that can enjoy and be around, and for us to be able to have a positive influence on others, and for us to have people that enjoy, it takes the type of mentality that you're willing to do for others. And God knows that. You know, God doesn't need us to put him first. God knows we need to put him first. And so everything that Scripture tells us to do, that's the reason. Because God knows best, and God knows what we need. And when we start putting ourselves before others, we start putting ourselves before God. Because that's what God's all about. Jesus didn't have to come, guys. You know, Jesus, if Jesus was going to come, I can see me right now bargaining with, you know, if I'd have been Jesus, I can see me trying to bargain with God in my current mindset. I, you know, okay, you want me to go down and die for this group of people? Well, I tell you what, instead of going down during this Roman time period, how about I wait until 2022 and I'll go, then I'll take the lethal injection. They can just put me to sleep. Will that be okay? You know, think about what God, what God gave up. He gave up 
his son for us. Now, if that's not putting others first, and if that's not the definition of selflessness, I don't know what is. So that's my challenge to you this evening. Put God first by putting others first. We heard we had two great lessons here earlier. Had some great singing and prayers, scripture. We appreciate all of these youngsters. And on behalf of the congregation, we wish you all wish. We pray. We pray the very best for all of you. Because y'all are awesome kiddos. And we're proud of you. You know, we never want to leave and leave an assembly without giving an opportunity for prayers, to make your life right. You may be hurting. You know, we have people in this congregation right now, present right now, they're dealing with some issues. And if you want, if you need to talk, if you just need prayers, whatever your needs are, if you need to put Christ on in baptism, you can come forward while we have the invitation song, or you can catch one of us after service, and we'll help you out at your convenience. So whatever your needs are, if we can help you, please come as we sing.